Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome along to the Lily May Foundation Still Parents podcast. This is episode number two of series two. First of all, happy Easter. How are you, Ryan? You okay? I'm all right, thanks, Dan. I'm all right. I'm uh, eating a few too many Easter eggs, I think. So I'm feeling a bit uh, <laughs> hodgy at the moment, I suppose, because of the uh, the amount of chocolate I've eaten today. But yeah, no, I'm all right, Dan. How are you, Matt? Happy Easter, Matt. You all right? I know, I know Matt's in a good mood. He's still buzzing from his football team's result yesterday. West Bromwich Albion got a win. Look at that smile, look. This yeah. I've seen Matt since we started doing this. We, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. It's been a nice day. And the sun, the sun was out as well, so that was enjoyable. So, Matt, uh, can I ask a quick question? Have you had your teeth whitened? No, they look white. Teeth look really white. I thought yeah, you were like Ross out of Friends. <laughs> I don't think that. I thought his is looking a bit sparkly. You know what he's got on down below, though? He's got his leather trousers on, probably. As well. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll have to get the talcum powder out to get out of them. And, his, and, his, and if he's Ross from Friends, his back is really tanned. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Ryan and Ross. And uh, joining us... Tonight on this episode, all the way from Ireland. Hello, Ian. Ian Lawton. How are you? Nice to uh, nice to meet you, and thank you very much for joining us. Can you hear us? Okay, I can hear you fine, Dan. Thanks for inviting me on the show. I like that you're the first guest that we've had sat in a car. I think as well, yeah. which is good. <laughs> it's the only it's the only place where I can get a quiet spot of an evening to <laughs> to be able to speak to you un- uninterrupted. So happy Easter to you, Ian. Whereabouts are you, by the Thanks. way? Exactly. Just. I'm in um, I'm in County Meath in the Midlands of Ireland. All right, lovely stuff. And thank you very much for coming on. So this <coughs> is episode number two of series two on the Still Parents podcast. My name's Dan. I'm the host, uh, Ryan, obviously that you know from the Lily May Foundation with his wife, Amy, and joined by Matt, who's with us on each and every one. So first of all, Ryan, could you just uh, take a moment to explain how we came to get in on, on this particular episode? Obviously, we, the the, uh, the podcast is focused um, around men and emotional, mental support following the loss of a baby. Over the the uh, sorry, over the first series, and certainly in a lot of the planning that we've been putting in behind the scenes, we want to, we've obviously wanted to get people on who have firsthand experience of baby loss, and we came across um, a news article on RTE Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, which explains why we have Ian on from Ireland, because um, after reading um, this article, I'm not going to say too much because I know we're going to be speaking obviously very closely with Ian. It just seemed very fitting that the challenge or challenges, sorry, that Ian has faced the cha- and, and the challenges that he has done to help him on his uh, grief journey. It just seemed very, very fitting to obviously contact Ian and, and see if he would like to take part in the podcast. And thankfully, Ian agreed, you know, like you've you've just said there, and I just want to echo, it's great to have Ian on um, because it shows that we're reaching far and wide and obviously out into Ireland as well. First international guest, um, which is great. Um, it's an honour, thank you. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, like I say, the, the article that we came across was just so hard hitting, but ticked so many boxes on what we're trying to do with this podcast. And it just seemed, like I say, very fitting to to ask Ian to to come on and um, share his story. Yes. I think, so. it's, I think it's incredible that this particular podcast exists. It's the type of podcast I would have loved to have come across back in the early days, particularly in the aftermath of losing my boy. So, you know, my hat's off to you, lads, for... for doing this and putting this out there it's really an incredible thing to do well and likewise to you Ian thank you very much for coming on and I think with the explosion of podcasts especially in the last six to 12 months there was a few dotted around a decade ago but obviously things were different and the accessibility of them wasn't there Mm -hmm. so I think something you just said straight away for somebody who is where you were back then hopefully this can help them so before we move on anyway if you don't mind would you be able to take uh, as long as you want or short as you want just to uh, explain your your story and um why you're on here with us tonight if that's okay with you in yeah no problem i'm happy happy to talk about hank anytime you know uh, as any bereaved dad is you're more than happy to talk about your your kids uh those that are with us and those that aren't um because you know the love exists that never died so that continues a lot of people are uncomfortable bringing up the topic of a dead baby but you know i don't want to speak for all of you but i think we're we're happy when someone asks 
I guess going back to, I mean, it's it's ten years now. It's just gone ten years, and it's as it's as real and as fresh today as it was, you know, ten minutes after uh, watching him breathe his last breath. Um, it was 2011. He was born on the 1st of February, 2011. And it was an incredible day. He was my second son. And it was, you know, a, a relief and a joy uh, to see him, uh, to meet him, to spend time with him. I wasn't there for the birth, unfortunately, because I was looking after his older brother. Um, but I got to the hospital as soon as I could when I got the call that uh, he was being delivered. Um, he was a little premature and it was an emergency delivery. Um, so he was taken to the special care baby unit immediately. Um, my wife didn't get to see him. Um, so I ran up as soon as I could and met him. Um, I went into the unit and incubators wall-to-wall incubators and the weird thing was is that I knew who he was before he was pointed out to me out of all the babies and uh, my knees buckled uh, uh, because of this just this overwhelming explosion of love instant immediate love just uh, just knocked me off literally literally knocked me off my feet um, because that was something I was actually quite trepidatious of about having a second son. Uh, where am I supposed to get this love from? You know, I'm already maxed out. I already love this guy. So how am I supposed to love another kid as much as I love this guy? I'm, I'm tapped out. But, you know, soon as I laid eyes on him, that all that changed, you know. And uh, so I spent time with him and it was a relief. It was amazing. He was in an environment that was very caring. It was an environment there where people were, you know, working their arses off, looking after these tiny little creatures who are just all beautiful. But there was Hank, and um, he wasn't Hank at that point, but uh, it popped into my head that this tiny little boy needed, like, a strong name. I went down to my wife, and I described him in detail, and I said, let's call him Hank. He needs a, you know, a cowboy's name. You know, he needs something <laughs> like, you know, a bit sort of masculine because he's so tiny and weak. It was kind of like a, maybe a Johnny Cash boy named Sue. He yeah. needed that bit of extra bit of help because he was so, lo- yeah. So uh, she was like, okay, yeah. I mean, she was, you know, I guess uh, still on the morphine and all that kind of stuff because it was a painful birth. But um Anyway, I went home that night and uh, went to sleep and uh, in, you know, well-deserved sleep because, you know, having to, I think I was awake maybe 20 hours or so, maybe more at that point uh, because of bringing her to the hospital and stuff like that when the waters broke early. And so I, I was relieved and thought, oh, you know, she's in the right place. He's in the right place. My boy's asleep in the next room. Everything's going to be okay. And just as I was drifting off, uh, the phone rang again, saying, can you come back in? And, uh, you know, it it doesn't look like he's going to make it. So I, I, it was like two, three in the morning. I honestly can't remember the time, but uh, I was back in Dublin so quick down the motorway like broke every law <laughs> you know I was like Batman shooting into into the city and um, I don't know how much detail I want to go into in this no, next section but uh, well, he was they fought they fought and fought to to try and keep him alive and the decision was made to take him out of the incubator, off the respirator, and just hand, they handed him to us, and and he breathed his last breath, and it was. I've ne- I I don't I've never felt 
I've never felt so helpless in my entire life. Just, I was, you know, you want to fix things. You know, there's this, you know, when you're a dad, you want to fix what's broken. You want to just, you know, make everything okay. And I just like, please just rip my chest open and take whatever you need from me just to make this boy live. Just don't let him die. And I was pleading, pleading with him not to die. But he did. And um, it was very real. <clears throat> and then uh, they, they, they looked after us. And I was, I was just like, just look, look after her. You know, look after my wife, make sure she's okay. And they were fussing over me. And I'm like, no, you, you don't. I didn't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not part of this. Look after her. But they put down a mattress on the ground for me to sleep on next to her in a small room. And um, I was like, no, no, you're okay. You're okay. And just at least, okay, I'll sit on it. And before I knew it, I was, I was, you know, maybe 40 hours awake at that point. And that was it. I just, I just passed out. I didn't go to sleep. I just lost consciousness. Yeah, yeah. And um, just before I woke the next morning, it felt like it wasn't real. Mm. And I had this almost this sense of, oh, it was a nightmare. It was just the worst dream I've ever had. But then I realized it was the voices I was hearing was hospital stuff. And I sat, sat bolt upright and Hank was there with us the whole night. Um, and the doctor that delivered him came in with a beaming smile on his face the doctor who delivered them the, the previous day coming in to see how he was doing. And, and as soon as he saw Hank, he just, he, he just was, he just threw his arms. I went, no. And I was just, I felt so, I felt so bad for him to watch him, to see him suffer. I just could nobody could nobody have told you before you started your shift, you know, before you came in the room and he was distraught, you know, but very, you know, professional. He didn't break down in tears or anything like that, but you could tell he was he was in shock. And uh, it, that made it more real to see someone else react. And. Um, yeah. I'm probably going into too much detail, but. No, Ian, it's I'm just, it's just, it's just, you know, you asked the question, I went into that zone and it's, it's all very fresh. It's like it was yeah. just a few days ago, you know, not a decade ago. It's just a few days ago. I can feel that in, in your words and <laughs> I appreciate how difficult that, that was. And, and obviously that, that it's still there because obviously with this podcast, this is the reason why we're here. Um, it's been watched by people who've been through the same situation. Yeah. Um, obviously with Ryan, uh, with Matt, with the other guests that we've had on so far. So the, the whole point of this and the reason we're here, it's to find some strength by other stories um, to also, like we said, and I know this doesn't apply to you directly to help someone who is in that position, maybe right now. Sorry, I, I feel bad because obviously it's very painful to, 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 really, <clears throat> to relive all that. And I know you are more than happy to discuss it. So I do want to, before we move on, just to say thanks, because I know that was difficult for you. Uh, um, no, you're welcome. I think it's, I think it's important to share yeah. these stories. I think uh, bottling them up is what, what really destroys us inside. Yes. Well, and not, and to, to swallow down these emotions and not, not let them come out and not let them be public really, I think, destroys us. Yeah. And uh, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of strength and vulnerability. It's usually typically seen as, as a weakness in men, yeah. but no, it's what it's where our strength comes from. Is, well, that's what brings me on to my next point is the whole because everyone has a different time scale. On at the start, you don't even want to talk. You like sure you see how selfless you are as a as a human. Just listening to various parts of your story, then you know, open your chest up. You know, why are the doctors and the nurses asking if you're all right? Why you know you're feeling sorry for the for the doctor who delivered Hank? So that shows a lot about your mentality straight away. And we'll see this throughout the rest of the podcast with what's happened since and where you're at now, which obviously 
And I think you had to go down um, to even further depths before That's true. you could start that recovery, as they say, <laughs> the rock bottom, isn't it? Ian, everything you have said there is just this sort of like mirrored exactly how I felt when, certainly when Lily was born. I mean, my, my story was slightly different because Lily was still born. So we had found out a few days prior to her being born that, um, that her heart had stopped. But you say that about... I'm sorry to hear that, right? No, it's... Mm. That is probably the only time I can ever remember where I've genuinely been brought to my knees and I had no control literally over my legs. It was like somebody had just swooped them, swooped them, sorry, from underneath me. Um, and yet yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I would have literally given anything, absolutely anything at that time to um, to get her back. But my, my thought at that time was to get her back, not necessarily for me, but for my wife, yeah. for my family members, for her older brother, who yeah. at the time was only three and wouldn't have had a, an understanding of death in, in that respect. But what he was going to miss out on, obviously, then growing up and or just everything you've just said there just completely and utterly resonates with, well, certainly the feelings, obviously, definitely resonate with exactly how I felt at that time. And we've had a comment <clears throat> on um, Facebook already, <clears throat> Um, from a lady who just wants to send send you her love after losing her granddaughter at 24 weeks. Um, she said that, um, I'm just trying to decipher it slightly. It says, um, want to send you my love after losing my granddaughter at 24 weeks. As a parent, it would be hard. As a grandparent, it's hard. Your child has lost their beautiful child and in so much distress, yeah, that's a lady called Carol that sent a love to you following, obviously, your um, your story there. So, Well, thank you, Carol. I appreciate that. You've really, you've called to mind uh, a memory of, of watching my dad hold Hank. Uh, he, never, he didn't get the opportunity, obviously, to meet him. Um, but a few days, uh, a day or two later, when we were uh, taking him from the hospital in the coffin after the autopsy and all that just watching my father just watching him break down holding his grandchild was it's an image i'll never forget because he was in a in a room with with others and it was it was refreshing to see him to see him being that vulnerable and to be to be that upset for something that's validly upsetting and um yeah, I, lo I love him for for that, to see how upset he was and to see how much it mattered because I know he wasn't hurting because his grandson had died. I know he was hurting more that his boy was had lost his boy. Mm. And that's, that's, uh, that's, I treasure that memory, you know, and I think it really brought us a lot closer together as father and son too. So thank you to, to Carol for reminding me of that. Now, I was reading some information, some details about you, and it was for, so it's been for the next seven years, this is where I want to pick up next. There, okay. were, there, was, there was health implications as a result of just the way you were living, I think, with, uh, with food, et cetera, and habits and mm -hmm. lifestyle. If we can delve into that part next. Well, it's a, it's a devastating, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, losing your kid when... As, you know, you instantly fall in love with someone to have that just ripped from you the very, very next day was, you know, it, it, it just seems so unfair. It just seems so, you know, it, it's, it's, it just, re, it, it, it to totally derails your entire yeah. being. Um, and it's coping mechanisms, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I guess that there's a really good quote from Michael Rosen that I like that uh, he says, we're all experts in our own grief. And I guess I became really adept at self-destruction. And uh, that's, that's, and it wasn't a deliberate or an intentional self-destruction. Of course. But I just found comfort in food in a very um, profoundly addictive way. Um, there is addiction in my family and uh, particularly alcoholism. Um, so I was, I, I noticed I was starting to drink more uh, to drink more in the aftermath of, of losing Hank, particularly in that first year. Um, 
not like going blackout drunk every day, but certainly every weekend and sort of, I noticed my dependence was beginning to sort of elevate. And I thought I better nip this in the bud or else I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to destroy myself. Um, but unbeknownst to me, I found that food, which is a more acceptable addiction because everyone eats. Yeah. Right, you can't quit that. eating. You can quit your <clears throat> cigarettes. You can quit your smoking, you quit your drugs. You can quit all those kind of things and remove them from your life, but you can't remove food from your life. Mm. That's just an impossibility. So it was a more socially acceptable, I guess, an invisible addiction. Um, and I, I kind of behaved like an addict as well because of the fact that I was eating covertly. As time went on, I, I, you know, when people were asleep in the house, I'd sneak out and get to the chipper before it shut and, and ordered so much food that I'd be like, can I have a second fork? Because I was too embarrassed okay. to sort of admit that that's, this is all for me. I'm, share, I'm, I'm actually sharing <clears throat> this with someone. So give me the second fork. And then I would just, you know, gorge, literally gorge myself with, with food. And it was just, you know, greasy chipper food, you know. You weren't eating for, it wasn't enjoyable, I guess. Not at all. It was to so, feel something. Yeah. So did you did you did you feel did you feel the um after you eaten, was it a spiral of I feel dreadful now, but I've I've got to do that again. Is that what it was? It was a lot of that, a lot of that sort of um I call them feeding frenzies. It's where you're outside of yourself watching, going like, why are you still eating? You know. Mm. You've opened the packet of biscuits and, and, you know, just have one, put them away. But no, you just, you just watch it happen. And you're like, why am I still going? And um, I guess it was, it was depression. It's it, no two bones about it. No, um, that the, the morbid obesity, I became morbidly obese over time. And it was definitely a physical manifestation of my depression. I felt like I was building up layers and layers and layers of protection, as it were, okay. to the point where, you know, you know, I was, I was, I was killing myself. It was like a very, very, very long drawn out suicide attempt um, because it was self-inflicted and it, it felt good, good to have that pressure, you know, that sort of, it was like a hug from within is what it was like. Yeah. And it was, it was just very, satiating and and it just felt it felt good um a hug from within a hug from within is exactly what it was like yeah do you ever think it was a form of self-harm um because i didn't care about myself Ryan. that's the bottom line i just didn't give a shit about myself yeah didn't i wasn't important to me um i was i i was basically my my efforts were to make sure everyone else was okay Mm. and i put myself way down on, on the list of my my priorities. I just really just didn't care about myself. Um, and I think that was, that was the greatest mistake that I made because I, I never felt I deserved it. I never felt that it was, and I guess that was, that's sort of one of the, I guess the traits of, 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 of a chronic depression like that is that you don't feel worthy of any kind of respect or love and uh, particularly self-love. And it took me a long time to to realize that you know that self love and self compassion are are so so important because if you can't look after yourself first, you can. It, how can you possibly be of service to others without looking after yourself first? So take take care of you, and everyone benefits. If you don't take care of yourself, then you're just a burden. And that, that was a yeah. very important lesson I learned. So what was the catalyst? That point where you, all of it, and I'm not saying you go from not caring to, oh, I'm full of caring now, but there was mm, a, a mm. slight nudge of the slider of if, you know, you're at 0%, you know, up to yeah. 100. And just to kick it into motion, was there, Do, is there yeah. a memory or something? There is, in fact, yeah. There's, there was a few things that happened in quick succession around a sort of a fortnight. And um, so there was, there was one time when I went out to see Yola Tango play a gig in Dublin and I bumped into a buddy of mine that I hadn't seen in about a decade he moved to he emigrated to England for a while and he just moved back and we went for a pint afterwards Hank just came up in conversation mm. 
completely organically. It wasn't like, you know, brace yourself or, you know, I'm going to bring up, I'm going to bring up a difficult topic here now. And it just sort of almost inadvertently came out casually and organically as part of a conversation. And his reaction was so sweet. And he mentioned losing his dad recently and we had a hug and it was, it was just lovely. And it was such a kind of a relief. And I remember walking away from that, uh, going back to the car to go home. I, I really felt lighter. It really felt like an emotional weight had kind of lifted because any time prior to that, bringing up the topic of Hank was tough because you know you're going to almost throw a dark cloud over anything that's going on. And, and that was, that was how, how I was feeling. Others probably weren't feeling that, but that's how I was feeling. And it felt such a relief to be able to talk to Billy at uh, that time. And But his reaction wasn't, uh, wasn't like, oh, change the subject or, oh, I got to go to the toilet or anything like that. He just, he opened up about his own feelings and his own loss. And that was a beautiful thing, I think. And uh, around the same time, I learned of a bereaved fathers group uh, there's an organization in Dublin called the Little Lifetime Foundation that um, provide uh, sort of therapeutic services for, for uh, bereaved parents in the aftermath of infant loss. And um, I had learned about them back in 2011, but really didn't make any inroads um, to, to contact them or anything like that. But I was aware of them. So I may have followed them on Twitter. I don't know, but mm-hmm. uh, something popped up on Twitter saying a, a dad's only meeting. I saw dad's only in capital letters and I thought, <clears throat> oh, that, that's something I should, I think I should go to. Because all, all the group meetings before were always the partners would go and I, you know, I just thought group therapy, Jesus, <laughs> no <Yeah>. thanks, <laughs> you know, particularly going as couples and, but they put what I've since learned is that they ha- had been putting on uh, couples meetings, and what they noticed was that at these meetings, dads were just there to support their wives and partners, and rarely, rarely spoke. So very astutely, the people who organised it said, "I think we need to get the dads out of there." I shot them off an email looking for directions and where were they and where what time things were on and stuff like that. And when I sent that email, I just started bawling crying because something felt, something just sort of released a little bit. And then I got the reply and I remember pulling up outside the place and being terrified. I mean, I've got anxiety issues anyway, but this was like, it was turned up to 11 and 12, 13. It was just insane. And this, the sort of fight or flight response to just get the fuck out of there. Excuse my language, but to get out of there. Don't worry. You can swear as much as you want. It's fine. (laughs) Sorry. You can swear as much as you want. Yeah. Thank you. Don't you worry. Um, (laughs) And to be sitting outside their premises and it was was just getting realer and realer and realer. Yeah. And then going up and knocking on the door and then being led into the room and here's your seat. And it's like, this is this is real. real now, this it? is happening now. And there was other gentlemen there, and then a few others joined. And um, they started off the meeting with with one of the one of the lads just recounting his story. Uh, again, that fight or flight thing was just mm-hmm. so strong. I wanted to get out of there. I need to leave. I can't. I can't deal with this. This is too much. This is too much reality. I need to go back to my comfortable little bubble and go back to that little box room and click a mouse all day long and that's all you know go back into my safety safety zone and eat food but I stuck it out I stuck it out and people were taking turns to tell their story and it came to my turn and this is seven years of repressed emotion Mm. just just came it was you know it was like a tsunami of tears and not even being able to control my breath and there was no judgment. Hmm. Just the lads there, they had already cried those tears. They knew exactly what it was, what I was going through. And it just felt, it just felt awesome to listen to these lads. And what I realized at that, 
at that meeting was that we were all telling the exact same story fundamentally. Different character names, different events, different locations, but at its core was yeah. exactly the same story. And that's what bound us together. Yeah. And what I realized for those seven years, what was killing me was loneliness. I knew intellectually I couldn't have been the only dad to ever lose a kid, but it felt like that for seven years. And now finally, I felt I just didn't feel alone anymore. And it was a, I encourage any man out there who's listening to this, who's seeking some kind of semblance of hope, find your tribe, find those men and just talk. I mean, I was laughing and smiling at that end of that meeting. And there was one lad who was sitting next to me, a guy called Keith. He put his hand on my shoulder as he was leaving. He says, make sure you come back. And I did. I did. And he's now one of my best mates. Like, he's a diamond, you know? I think you're, you're remarkable. Clearly, the, you know, the grief's still there and the memories. And like you said, it's so vivid. And I think sometimes mm. when people are still dealing with, with trauma and emotions and thoughts, try, the clarity that you have when you're explaining it, there's no, there's no, it's amazing how clear you speak and how important that day was for you when you went into that. Something that you just hugely. said. We're stronger together. Yeah. We yeah. might think we can do this alone. We might think we can shoulder the burden, but we are stronger together. I We're so is- much stronger together. Listen, Ian, I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you. You know, I haven't said a lot tonight, but, you know, and I mean this completely. I, I, I've not, I've, I've met a lot of people in my time since I've lost Cali, but um, you're unbelievable, inspirational. I, I seriously like you are. And, and, and then I mean that to listen to how you've dealt with it and what you've done and, and to listen to you talk tonight. It's just unbelievable, like inspirational. Really, really mean that. And, and um, it's been a, it's been Thanks, a pleasure. Man. It really has. That support group is, is a good anchor to come back to. You know, I think we all need that. And, and people come and go. You know, it's not a commitment where you have to show up every six weeks. They come every six weeks. And and um, like you could go away for a year and come back and, and nobody would be any. Perfect. You know, there's no it's judgment or anything like there. that. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. You're quite, again, another reason why you're quite a remarkable man. And you know, Ian just drops casually. When I was running 10 marathons in 10 days, <laughs> like, like we all do it. What's going on there? How did that come about? And how much has running helped you? Because it's not stopped there. Oh, You've got, if anyone yeah. right now is going 10 marathons, wait till you hear what he's doing next, which we'll end on. <laughs> so Hang on a second. And not just that. Think about doing the two marathons back to back. You need to tell us about that as well, yeah. because yeah. I think the words that came out of Matt's mouth was, that's batshit crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got a quote here from Ian from uh, from this article, which we'll link in the description for the podcast from uh, the RTE website article. Um, how you took up running, which he said connected you with life. Obviously, it's Big carried time. on and it's escalated. Mm-hmm. I'm to be honest, I'm a little bit scared what you're going to be doing in a couple of years from now if you're already knocking out ten marathons in ten days <laughs> and the other yeah. thing that we're going to mention. But yeah, if you just tell us a little bit more, because I think again, it's 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 mental health. I know it's it's such an important thing. Completely, yeah. And and thankfully now it's getting more serious conversation than than it used to, and rightly so. But you need those things: healthy body, healthy mind. Will oh, completely. They're not going to fix anything, but they're going to help. After that meeting, I basically knuckled down and 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 got my shit together. I was uh, morbidly obese at that first meeting, over way over three hundred and fifty pounds in weight. Um, and basically within, between that moment and 10 months, I had lost, uh, pretty much half my body weight. Wow. Um, I just, uh, I just changed my relationship with food. Um, I was, you know, I had this moment, uh, one night where I was lying in bed and my heart was struggling. My body was like a beach whale, kind of the blubber was wobbling. And I was like, what is that? And I realized it was my heart beating, trying to pump blood around my my body. And I just thought, I just said out loud into the darkness, I'm going to die. It was that scary. And my kid, Hank's older brother, was asleep in the next room. And he was 10 at the time. 
and I just thought I need to be there for him. I I can't I can't just eat myself to death. I got to do something. So I I I'll try to be as quick as possible. But I just went through a whole sort of protocol. I quit dieting basically, and went back to a sort of a natural whole foods eating protocol and and took care of the, our circadian rhythms. And I became an autodidact, a bit of a scientist, a bit of a nerd yeah. and really got into nutrition, basically dropped half my body weight in about 10 months. Um, I was out walking my dog one evening around a bog nearby and uh, I'd lost a good few stone at this point. And this weird compulsion to just run yeah. came over me and I didn't repress it. And I just started running along with my dog. Like I only ran for a few seconds, but I just started laughing because here I was at 46, seven years of age, whatever I was at the time, just running and laughing with my dog around a bog like an Aegis. <laughs> and I just, I just, it just, I really awoke something gorgeous inside me. And it was, what well, it was like childlike is what it was. Yeah. You know, when you go out into nature with kids, yeah. they just see yeah. a field and they just run like a bullet. You know, they're gone because they have this sort of compulsion to just run and explore and be adventurous. And it's like the modern day Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, no, I just, I ran, I didn't suppress it. And what was, it just awoke this inner child like feeling. Brilliant. And it really, it just connected me with Hank, you know, and I kind of, felt I needed to run for him. Yeah. You know, and, and because it made me feel alive. Running just made me feel yeah. alive. And I want to celebrate life and celebrate his life. And ran. And I just, you know, I was here where I'm parked. The car is parked. I, start, I taught myself how to run by running for 10 seconds and walking for 30 seconds running because I had, I, the park run was something I heard, heard about, the 5K on a Saturday. And I just taught myself how to how to get up to a 5K in about three or four weeks. Once I did that first 5K, I was like, oh, <laughs> right, what's, ne what's next? Brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll do all the park runs. And I'll I do all the this. park runs. I love this because you know? it's that little bit of, you can't, you can't do everything at once, especially no, no, seven just... years of, of, of grief and neglect. Yeah. You yeah. can't just go, right, you can't run for 10 yards laughing at your dog and then go, right, I'm doing a marathon tomorrow for the next day. <laughs> It's got to be a little bit at a time, you know, yeah. manageable bits. That's it. It's it's all it's all tiny little baby steps, you know, one percent better each day, and it all it all adds up because from the day I sat down to that first breakfast, where I was like, right, this is the food I'm going to eat from now on. None, nothing with a barcode. I'm just eating this food from that Brilliant. from that day to twelve months to the day later. I ran my first marathon. I was only running for about six months and ran my first marathon Perfect. from morbidly obese to running a marathon. It's amazing. And uh, then I ended up running five marathons that first year. Then 2020 came around and I, I just decided I'm going to be an ultra runner. So I started running ultra marathons and ran four ultra marathons during lockdown in 2020. And an the, ultra marathon the, is two marathons back to back. An ultra marathon is any distance that's longer than a conventional 42.2 kilometer marathon. Yeah. So they go. Right, you can't do 42.3 and then call it ultra marathon. 42.3. Cheers. Done. Thanks. Go for another 100 meters after you finish the, the, the go over the finish line. Yeah. I've just done an ultra. I walk back to the car park. I've just done an ultra. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, can I ask you what's. Yeah. What's it like doing 10 marathons in 10 days? I can't was, even get um, my head around. It's an amazing accomplishment. Well, I, I just like, I wanted to, it was co coming up to Hank's 10th birthday. And I thought I was planned this, I planned this for a year. I just thought, you know, like any kid, when they, when they, any parent who has a kid that comes up to a landmark birthday, like 10, a decade, you want to, you want to, you want to pull out all the stops. Yeah. You want to spoil them rotten. You want to get them the biggest cake and streamers, parties, all the presents. <laughs> but how do you acknowledge and celebrate the life of someone who's not there? But you really want to mark the occasion. And what I found in the year of doing um, ultramarathons, uh, the first ultra, uh, the second ultra I did was 
when we were when Ireland went into the first lockdown and we were we were um, confined to two kilometers of our front door. Um, I did uh, forty. I went out to do forty miles, doing loops around my my house, and um, started at two in the morning to maximize social distancing and all that. And I ended up raising money so I could send care packages to every single special care baby unit in Ireland because I just remember them working so hard, fighting so hard to keep my boy alive all those years ago. And here they are now with this COVID pandemic and they're they're looking after our most vulnerable, yeah. those yeah. little babies in those incubators. And I just wanted to do something just to just to thank them and let them know that they're appreciated because people take them for granted and they they were working so hard. This is three, four o'clock in the morning. They're trying to keep a little infant alive. And this is their job, you know? So I, I wanted just to do something special for them. And what I found is that when you run stupid distances, people really pay attention to you, you know? So I, I carried on doing more stuff for charity then uh, at every, every, uh, every run I did after that. It's not but, just um, Ian. It's not just running. It's just when you do stupid things in general. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've yeah. just, um, I've just because myself and Dan obviously we we chat on a on a chat whilst this is going on, so we can talk about the comments and so we right. can see how it's flowing and stuff. Although, to be honest, all he said on the chat tonight is Matt's teeth look really white as he had a white. <laughs> <laughs> but what I've put on there is there's so many similarities that you're saying there about you know, the, the sort of um, landmark birthdays, things like that. Yeah, yeah. In the sort of challenge that we, that we did, and I feel a little bit, our challenge is it's not as hardcore as yours. But no, I'm joking. What and, and one of ours, and the one thing I always said was, you'd never, ever, ever get me to jump out of a plane. And I jumped out of a plane last year. And Awesome. You know, there was there was certain things when we were. I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely petrified on the way up. But there were little things when we were coming down. And I don't know if Matt experienced this because I know Matt. Um, well, Matt obviously did it as well. But there was a circular rainbow that, um, wow. that our tandem instructor took me through the circular rainbow, and like there were little things like that which you sort of thought, well, I'm, we're doing this because it was Lily's tenth birthday and beautiful. Yeah, things that you sort of hold on to at the time. And mm. I almost forgot that I was free falling at that point. At yeah. Hour. Yeah. And if this parachute doesn't open, it's going to make a big mess on the floor. Sort of. <laughs> but it was yeah. more about focusing on that little rainbow at that time. Um, and yeah, you're right. When you, when you do crazy things, people do give you money and it's, they really uh, do pay attention. Yeah. Down, doesn't it? It does. It keeps you going. Mm. On the point of that, is there any um, way that people can get in touch with you? Cause I know you have been doing a lot of work and to fundraise for, for various charities with obviously with the, the marathons and what you've, you've got coming up. So is there any way that people can reach out to you if, if, if people wanted to get in touch with you or, or make any donations for, for your runs that you're, that you're doing in, or if you can't, uh, or we can also stick them in there. They'll be in the description to the podcast too. Great. Yeah. Well, if you just go to runningforhank.com, uh, okay. you'll find all the all the stuff there. The, the website's a bit of a mess. I need to really do some work on it. But uh, what I'm passionate about at the minute is uh, uh, I'm a filmmaker. That's sort of my day job. And um, I have been I have been um, sort of on and off because it's such a difficult subject. I have been producing in my spare time a documentary film. Uh, called Survived By, and it's uh, it's an intimate portrait of infant loss from the perspective of dads, and it's being made by bereaved fathers for bereaved fathers. So if you want to help me get that made, I want to get it made grassroots. That's why I'm sort of going public with it because I don't want it to go through any sort of uh, sort of corporate funding or anything like that be, where it's yeah. made by committee and, don't and it ends up being details, sensationalized yeah. or anything yeah. like that i want it to be very pure and honest and real and it's that. the kind of film that i would have liked to have seen during those seven years exactly because i know there's a there's a lot of men out there who are suffering unnecessarily and don't know that there's others like them out there making the documentary running 10 mm. marathons in in 10 days uh, you've got your a big birthday coming up, September, same month as me. And uh, yeah. to celebrate you turning 
the big five oh, you've you've well basically the ten marathons in ten days was just the warm up, wasn't it, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> well, the beautiful thing about the ten marathons in ten days was that it finished on what would have been Hank's tenth birthday, and uh, that was what was important about it because the marathons represented sort of <clears> those <throat> days for the last nine years coming up to the anniversary where you kind of feel the weight of that anniversary and approaching and every day kind of feels longer and feels like a marathon that you have to kind of endure emotionally. And then the next day you got to get up and do it all over again. So those, and I did it on a 400 meter running track as well. So it was like that hamster wheel of monotony every day you're going round and round and round in circles. And then, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, basically ran the length of Ireland in 10 days, you know, on a 400 meter running track. So it was, it was looking back, it was, it was insane, but it was so that profound. Makes it even, that makes it even better. The fact that you're just going around, like you said, the hamster wheel. It's not even any different. It, kind of, it represented, it represented well, bereavement. It represented that sort of, uh, yeah, what you go through in your head over and over and over again. And it was a really sort of poignant metaphor. I think there is that link yeah, between the, the mental grief and, and then the physical pain. 200 kilometers in 40 hours is what he's doing next. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I, I'm aiming yeah, to do say, next, oh, whether, I, whether I succeed or not, remains to be seen. But yeah, no, I, I wasn't expected to live to see 50. I, I'm determined to now to enter my 50s in the best physical and mental shape of my life. And my birthday present to myself is to participate <laughs> in the Kerryway Ultra, which is a 200 kilometer trail ultra marathon. Um, Ireland's longest trail marathon in September. Just it's about a week before I turn fifty. So that's the challenge. Whether I make it or not remains to be seen. But uh, I think you, uh, some something tells me that you will. Yeah, hundred percent. What Do date, you, Ian? What date is it? Second, third, and fourth of uh, of uh, <laughs> of I'm, September. I'm busy, I'm busy on that weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can. Um, are you going to have your phone with you? Maybe we could. Um... Zoom oh. you live on uh, Lily May Foundation Facebook page when you're, <laughs> when you're halfway through. Or Tell you what like I want to do, Ian. I want to get you over here for our 10-kilometre fun run in, uh, in September. Brilliant. Was, you could come and do the warm-up and, um, yeah, show everyone how to run. <laughs> here, I'll tell, I tell you what. I'm doing a marathon a month, every month, for the next 10 months as well, on top of the 10 marathons in 10 days, because I want to highlight um, bereavement support places. Amazing. With each one, I did the I did one there a couple of weeks ago um, along the Boyne for a little lifetime foundation. I would love to do one for the Lily May Foundation uh, during the summer, perhaps. That'd be brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that would be brilliant. Thank you. Hey, uh, what was the, the the website again? Was it Running for Hank? Running for Hank dot com. dot com. Like I said, we'll put that in the uh, in the description. And you're, um, you're you're an amazing person and. I know, obviously, there's there's still bad days, but to see uh, mm-hmm. where you are now, after especially you know the memories that we we spoke about at the at the start of the podcast, that it is a journey which is which is doesn't end; it's evolving. But for someone who's yeah. been in a place as dark as as you were, to what we see how you are now with well, things, I really I think you've just been an inspiration. Hopefully, um, I'm pretty sure to to everyone who's been who's been listening and watching this. So if you'd like to get in touch, you, you can running for Hank and we're definitely going to follow the, um, follow the progress with the runs. I'm going to be all over. Thank that. you. Yeah, Thank so, you. Yeah. Also with uh, Lily May foundation, if anyone would like to get in touch with Ryan or Amy, especially watching this. And I know we're trying to, it's been quite a, a, a deep one tonight. We normally have a little bit of football chat in the middle and just to, just to break <laughs> up a bit. But we, to be honest, I know you're not a fan of football and Matt with his pearly white teeth and baggies one. I'm not having any of it. So. <laughs> no, no, and Leicester lost as well, I suppose. That's the other reason. <laughs> and I know to say go West Brom. Yeah, I, like I think uh, uh, yeah. So please, anyone. Did I get that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the, you know the, the thing to take away from tonight, for like, like as in, I mean, Ian can say it a million times better than me. Don't be there in silence. Reach out, mm, speak mm. to somebody. If you can't speak just yet, just listen. And yeah, uh, and you're capable of so much more than you even think you're capable of. Everyone is. We've all got this inside us. It keeps you going. You know, there's something that the sun is always shining above the clouds, no matter how claustrophobic and dark it gets. 
no matter how shitty the weather is, how much you know, how miserable you are, sun's always shining up above. And I think that's uh, probably a, a perfect place to end it on. I can't, I can't say anything better than what Ian said. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for sitting. Are you cold? Is your engine not even on? You're just sat in your car. I'm just sat in the car. Yeah, no, it's gotten very warm. I closed the windows earlier for to oh. keep uh, the, the wind silent. So uh, yeah, I'm sat in sweat. It's got, all, it's got all steamed up in there, isn't it? If you it's put your hands on the window up, now, yeah. someone's going to think you're reenacting that scene in Titanic. So don't. Do That's it. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much to everybody who. Oh, Ryan, was there one more message you wanted to read out before? We've just got. There's just a couple of comments. There's some yeah, comments. Yeah, go for it. Just come up. They just. I think they all sort of mirror each other. So um, Tracy sent you three big red hearts. Um, Thank you, Tracy. Sam Belcher, who was on our oh, yeah. first Hi, episode, um, who has, who's obviously been involved with the, the podcast as well, has put great episode. What a guy Ian is, and we've you, got um, a birthday. So good luck and happy fiftieth, Ian. What a great guy from Nick. Oh, thanks, Nick. Hey, would you would you be up for joining us again at some point on the podcast? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if it, if it, if it, you know, I'm I'm happy to share my story. You know, if it if it, just if it reaches one da out there, yeah. You know, that's Absolutely. that's why I, I'm so public with this kind of stuff. You know, so and again, thank you so much for inviting me on this show. I think what you're doing is incredible, and it's important. It's not just you know a fun podcast, you know, with a bit of banter with the lads. It's it's important to let people know and to let men know, particularly men who for whatever societal convention that makes us shut in this, you know, to be the strong silent type and to swallow it down, it's, it destroys you. Yeah. And I think what you're doing is, is such an asset to people. So thank you for inviting me to be a part of it. It's been our pleasure, Ian. Thank you very much. We will, uh, we'll let you go back in inside a, a, an actual house now <laughs> yeah. or, or, or a marathon, whichever you prefer. Maybe I'll just run home, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Ian. Matt, thank you uh, for joining us once again. And and Ryan from the Lily May Foundation. And we will join you for episode number three of series two in a couple of weeks from now. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody. And we'll see you very soon. Good night. Good night.